We're going to dive into the word and and we're going to take just a few minutes just I'm going to give you just a little bit of an introduction. The book of Ruth mentions God several times, but it does not record God directly speaking or doing anything out of the ordinary or so we think. There's no miracles recorded in the book of Ruth. There's no dreams or visions. No exposition of divine lessons or relaying of commands. There's not really even any prayers in the book of Ruth. The Bible says that the book of Ruth mentions the Lord as the one who blesses His people in Judah by giving them good crops. And Naomi, who we're going to talk about in just a few minutes, is Ruth's mother-in-law who blames God for bringing her to a state of misery. How many been in a place of misery before? And at the end of the book, the author mentions that it is the Lord who enables Ruth and Boaz to have a son. And the women of Bethlehem utter a note of praise and say, blessed be the Lord. With this relatively few references to God, the book of Ruth somewhat resembles the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, God is never mentioned at all. But in both Esther and Ruth, God's hands can be seen moving and working behind the scenes. God's hands can be seen behind the scenes just orchestrating something to happen in their lives. And like Esther, Ruth contains an amazing coincidence that points towards God's convert design, covert design. Out of all the fields in Bethlehem, we're going to read Ruth happened to end up in Boaz's field. And out of all the fields that could have been Boaz's, it just so happens to be that Boaz was the eligible kinsman redeemer for her. Meaning that was the person who was going to save their lineage. The text makes it sound as if Ruth's arrival in the field was a random event, a happy accident. But we know. We know that God orchestrates things to happen even though we don't realize it. Even when we don't see Him, He's still working. Even though we don't feel Him at times, He is still working. Although God is not mentioned in Ruth, God orchestrates all of the events recorded in the book. While the book of Ruth does not explicitly record God causing all these things to occur, we know that God's hands were in the middle of the story of Ruth. So the same God that was working on the behalf of Naomi and Ruth in the book of Ruth is the same God who is here today quietly and subtly working behind the scenes at times on your behalf. God didn't need to send fire from heaven or send a chariot or whirlwind or knock someone off of a horse. All He had to do was orchestrate things for His favor so that He could get the glory out of it today. So I want to take my text from the end of the book of Ruth where it says in Ruth chapter 4 verse 13 it says, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. 
And then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. So today I want to share what God has laid on my heart. And that is the unseen, renowned Redeemer that is moving and operating in our life. Even though at times you don't see Him, He still is that renowned Redeemer that we can put our trust and faith in today. Come to remind somebody in this room that God, the God I serve is not working on just my behalf, but working on every one of you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come into your presence, God. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come and hear what you have to say, God. I pray that you'd remove my words and put yours, God. I pray right now, Jesus, that the seed would find good ground. I pray today that the miraculous would begin to move on somebody's behalf, God. You've already ordered orchestrated their life. God, you know exactly where they are right now. God, I pray that your faith would be built in this place to remind someone that you are on their side and you are building their kingdom. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. You can be seated if you can. I come today on a mission to increase someone's faith about the God that we serve. He has not left you Come on, can I get a witness? God has not left you. God's got you. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's got you. There's no one that knows you better than Jesus Christ. There's nobody, nobody, nobody greater than Jesus. Nobody greater than Jesus. Lord's France has a reputation for miracles. The small town drew international attention in 1858 when a young girl named Bernadette claimed to see a vision of Jesus' mother, Mary. And since then, Lord, the, the town of Lourdes has been a destination for pilgrims that are seeking healing. And Jean-Pierre Belly was one of those people. And in 1987, he traveled to Lourdes. Years ago... Jean-Pierre had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, an autoimmune disorder that attacks the body's central nervous system, and he was now confined to a wheelchair. But during the service in Lourdes, France, Jean-Pierre felt something strange about that day. And he is quoted to say that as the priest was praying for me, an unction came over me. On my forehead, down to my hand, down to my feet, and through my hands. I had the impression that everything was turning around me. He was later quoted in the book Near Death Experiences, and he said that in a fraction of a second, I lost all sense of time and space, and God was coming to cure my heart. I was invaded by a powerful feeling of liberation and peace that I have never experienced. Before, And after that experience, Jean-Pierre began to feel a tingling in his legs. And just a few days later, he took a, his first unaided steps in years. And subsequently, uh, examinations would begin to show that there was minor traces of illness that had once dominated his life. Through those still a medical mystery, Jean-Pierre's cure was deemed an official miracle was deemed an official divine miracle of that day. 
And this is what I believe, that the same God that took care of Jean-Pierre in 1987 is the same God that is in this place in 2022. The same power rests in this house. The same power that God divinely put on Jean-Pierre in 1987 is that same power that He wants to put and orchestrate for you. He's orchestrated you to be in this building today. You're not here by accident. He has divinely worked your circumstances in His favor to get you to hear what He has to say. God wants to remind someone today that though you can't see Him, does not mean He's not working. Though you physically cannot see His hands at work, it does not mean that He does not have a plan for the next step of your life. Just because you can't feel Him right now does not mean that He does not have the next step in place. God has not forgotten about you. God has you right where He wants you. There's no path that he does not know where you're going. There's no path that he does not know where you stand. And he will reach you right where you are. So this is why we're going to dive into the book of Ruth. A very remarkable story of God's divine hand in all of our lives. It's a testament and it can be said that emphatically that God watches our every step. Chapter 1 of the book of Ruth is bleak. You need to remember that because when we get to the chapter 4, it ends, in my view, in an extremely surprising way. When we get to verse 14, Ruth absolutely disappears. The, the name of the book, Ruth, this lady absolutely disappears after verse 14. And all it is about is Naomi and King David in the end. And you wonder why was the shift onto Naomi? We have to keep the chapter 1 in mind because chapter 1 is told from the standpoint of Naomi. She had a husband named Elimech. And they lived where there was a famine in Judah and Bethlehem. And so desperate for food, they left and went to a pagan land, which was a very dangerous thing to do in that day, and especially if you were going to have a family. Then Elimech died. The husband died and Naomi was now a widow and she had two sons. And they had married foreign women of the land who had foreign gods. And for ten years her children was married but yet they were childless. And they had no way to pass on the name in their land. It was a sad thing in that culture for someone to be barrenless. And then her sons after ten years died and one of the daughter-in-law stays while the other one goes back to her foreign gods and Naomi then comes to her homeland as the famine was lifting and says that the almighty God listen to this this is Naomi speaking she says the almighty God has dealt very bitterly with me I went away full from my homeland and the Lord has brought me back empty the Almighty has brought calamity on me. That certainly is to be intended the summary of this chapter. But her theology was that God exists. God is sovereign. And everything you experience comes from one way or another, His hand. Therefore, she simply said without calling His reality into questions that He has dealt bitterly with me. 
And she still believes in him. She believes that he is God, even while he has dealt this bitterness to her. So that in the end of chapter 1, the scripture says that it is a bleak situation. Where Naomi believes that the God who she serves, the God who has raised her up, the God that gave her a husband and gave her two children, but now those that husband and two children are now taken away from her, is the same God that she's supposed to love. She says that he has dealt bitterly with me. And she ends the statement saying that I left full. But now I've come back empty. Now she's not 100% correct in her statement because she, God did not bring her back empty, did He? He brought her back with an amazing woman called Ruth. But Naomi thought that there was nobody for Ruth to marry and therefore the name of her son Milan was not going to be per- perpetuated. But she was wrong about that. And this is where we have to learn the first lesson right out of the gate. That in our darkest times, in our darkest and bleakest hours, we tend not to see things as clearly. That our eyes get blinded by the disparity. And we see no further than the obstacle that is right in front of us. We see nothing more than the trials that we're facing. We see nothing more than the trials that is coming to hit us. We see nothing more than the storm that we're in the middle of. While all along, there's a miracle that we're going to find out about in just a few minutes. There's a miracle that Naomi has on the other side. And this is why I believe that the book was written to help you and I manage the bleak seasons of our life. To help us realize that when all of life tries to come against us, when everything is tried to strip away from us and we feel like everything is gone, And at times we say, God, I love you, I need you, but why did you do this to me? We're all, I imagine we're all guilty of that at times. Why did you do this to me, God? I still love you, but why? And this is where Naomi was at the end of chapter 1. But in chapter 2, this is where the lights come on. Ruth has went back to Bethlehem with Naomi And Ruth starts working in a field, gleaning behind the harvesters. And as it turns out, she was working in a field belonging to a man named Boaz, who was from the same family as her dead husband. And it was there that Ruth was introduced to her kinsman, Redeemer. This was an ancient provision that meant that that if an Israelite man was to die without having a son as their heir to carry on their family name, the next of kin could provide for the deceased by marrying his widow. So Boaz treats her with great respect and the chapter closes brimming on excited hope. He, she has now been introduced to a man that has the resources That has everything that she needs. She's gleaning in the field. Their life is starting to turn around. 
and we enter into chapter 3. And in chapter 3, Ruth and Naomi seem to hit upon a very strange plan. They devise a plan to try to confirm Boaz's love and interest in Ruth in a very private way. Boaz made a statement the day before and Naomi and Ruth wanted to find out if Boaz was being real. In other words, as they sat around and talked about what he said the day before, or whatever time had lapsed, namely Boaz said to Ruth, had found favor with him because she took refuge in the wings of God. Boaz told Ruth that there's something different about you because you've taken refuge in the wings of God. And as they contemplate why Boaz would say it that way, they hit upon the idea And they have this idea that says that this older man, Boaz, loves you. And he loves you so much because you have taken refuge under the wings of God. And you came and you found refuge with him. And he provided for you. And you subtly making the connection between taking refuge under God's wings and finding refuge in his power, his wealth, his resources, and his kindness. He's expressing an openness. This is the idea that they have, that this man, Boaz, is, is, is just saying this because he has an interest in Ruth. So Ruth goes to Boaz in the night where he sleeps and uncovers his feet, lays down at his feet, and then when he awakes and asks, who was there? Ruth replies, it is her. And he, she says, spread your garment over me. And spread your wings over me. And this is Ruth and Naomi's way of saying, if you're willing, if that's what you meant yesterday or however long it was, that God's wings will be for me, then I will accept. If you're interested in me, then throw your garment over me and spread your wings over me. I will accept it. Now let me pause for just a second because when I was reading and stuttering this, studying this part of the scripture, I, I had a problem. I'm not going to lie. I have a problem. Those that know me personally will know what I'm about to say. Ruth must have been really desperate to help her own lineage and her mother-in-law simply based on the fact that she went to DEFCON 1, which is the highest level of nuclear readiness By uncovering a grown man's feet underneath the covers. Lakin uncovers my feet. I'm coming up fighting. Essentially, this lady took the covers where this grown man was sleeping peacefully and uncovered his feet. Number one, I've got a problem with that because you uncovered my feet. Number two, and more importantly than just uncovering his feet, Ruth had the courage and the tenacity, and a strong stomach enough to lay by his funky, crusty, dirty feet. The the thought of feet just makes me disgusted. I promise you, it grosses me out. Kudos to Ruth for the braveness to not only uncover a man's feet, but then lay down beside them. I mean, that's some braveness, guys. That's some braveness. I mean, I I know my feet, and I've seen some of y'all's feet. (laughs) Out of the question. Out of the question. 
But it leads me to ask myself this question. How bad do you really need something in your life? Are you willing to humble yourself and do what seems foolish and otherwise outlandish to get what you need for your family? Are you willing to experience things that others would say they would give up on? I can tell you for me, I wouldn't have uncovered his feet. But let me tell you, there's something different when you've got to get something from God. There comes something different when nothing else has worked. Everything has went against me. I've got to put my pain aside. I've got to put my shame aside and say, whatever I've got to do, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I know for me, I wouldn't have slept by no feet. For me, I wouldn't have dared uncover anybody's feet. But for Ruth, she had to put her pride aside and say that this man is willing to redeem my family. What must I do to make it happen? What must I do to make it happen? What do you need to do to make sure that the Redeemer of all Redeemers can get to your family? What do you got to push out of the way? What kind of pride do you got to lay down? What kind of secrets or sins do you need to be let known to God? What are the things that you are deeply hurt over that you've got to say, I've got to get where they are and I've got to let them come out? Because that is where Ruth was. She was willing to do the absolute impossible. And actually, you go read scripture, it was out of law for her to even be in the same place as this man at nighttime. But yet she stepped out and said, I I just sense that there's something different about this man. There's something different. And I've got, I've got to do this for my family. If anything else... I've got to lay my pride aside. I've got to lay myself aside and say that it doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what it smells like. It doesn't matter what is going on in my life. I've got to do it because I've got to win my family. I've got to get myself back in place. Thankfully, and I say thankfully, Boaz shows that they actually got it right by assuming that he was interested. And in return, he said, thank you for taking interest in me. So what I will do is I will go the next day to try my best to make it a reality. But, but Ruth, there's something else that you need to know. There is another kinsman, redeemer, that goes before me. Meaning there's another person who could buy Naomi's property and with the purchase of the property would get Ruth to raise up a seed for Malon. And this is what takes us into chapter 4. And I think this is the way that the story is told. We're supposed to feel the frustrations of setbacks again and again and again and again. And that's the way that it began in chapter 1, that there was a death of a husband, death of sons, a marriage. Death of a marriage, a famine in the land, foreign wives and foreign gods and no children, setbacks and obstacles and disappointments. And then you think, oh, it's going good. All of a sudden, and Boaz is so worthy 
and he's so noble and so self-controlled and, and she is so wise and shrewd. This is reading the scripture. You just feel all of these emotions. But now there's another fella that done come up on the scene. After she done uncovered this man's feet, after she done slept by his nasty old feet, this man says, Boaz says that there's somebody else that's standing in the way. There's somebody else that is standing in the way. And I think that that's the way this book goes. Because that represents life as we know it. That life is full of challenges and obstacles that we aren't. And if we aren't careful and don't trust God that he has our best interest in mind. That we'll give up before it's time for our blessing. That's how life goes at times that we just give up before it's actually time for God to interject himself and make a way where there seems no way. And this is where we come to chapter 4, the, the, the chapter where I took my scripture from. And it goes on to say that Boaz goes to the city the next morning and the nearer kinsman shows up. The Bible doesn't even name this kinsman. Shows up and Boaz lays out the situation before him and says that Naomi has a small amount of property that she's going to sell. And then Boaz tells him that you can buy it and take the inheritance that belongs to you, in a sense, to him first. And the man says that I will redeem it. And we as a crowd wants to say, no, don't redeem it. You get out of here. You're going to mess things up. But then he says, yes, I will redeem it. And then Boaz says this. He says, the day that you buy the fields from the hand of Naomi, you also will inquire the Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead for his inheritance. The day that you buy this inheritance, though you might, be, though you might have an inheritance and it's supposed to go to you, the day you do it, you're also going to get something worth more than what you bargained for. You're going to get a woman who is a widow and has no children. And we get this sigh of relief when this man says that I will not marry this woman. I will not take this inheritance. We say yay in the background and we watch this drama Unfold as, as Boaz lays it all out on the table and tells this unnamed man, this unnamed person, when he says that I can't redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself because I cannot redeem it. And here we are in the story where we see that there was this person that was supposed to get the inheritance. That was supposed to... To buy the land. That it was his civic duty to take Naomi in, to buy the property, and to take Ruth and to be the husband. But yet, because he's got other things going on and his own little family and other things that he's having to deal with, he does not want to take the inheritance that is due to him. So Boaz steps up and says, I'll take it. I'll take it. 
I'll take the inheritance. I'll take the property. I'll take whatever's going on in their life. And I will marry this woman, Ruth, with all the baggage, with everything that she comes with. And I will take her. And she will be my family. And she will be my bride. That's the good news. That we're happy to hear it. And we, we say yay. And then they move forward. And they get married. Then there seems to be yet another setback. That's on the horizon. A setback that could alter their future plans. That could alter carrying on the lineage. That was the whole purpose of all of this. It's not explicitly mentioned. But, she, but what we see and what we read in scripture. Is that for some reason or another. That after 10 years of being married to her first husband, that they were still childless. So now we come to the point in the story that there's a setback that is being set up to say that what's going to happen? After all of this, after three chapters and after he takes and get the inheritance, after all of this, is, are they going to have children? Now, it goes to say that by them not having a child in 10 years, it doesn't mean that, they, uh, that there was something wrong. It just could mean that there was something wrong with her. could mean something wrong with him. But the question lingers, if, they, if, if she doesn't have any children with that husband, how could she now? She was probably in her early 30s, maybe mid-30s, though they aren't sure how old she was married to Malon. It was about 10 or 12 years now. Will they be able to have children? And then we get this amazing prayer in the book of Ruth, chapter 11, verse 12, which says that when all the people who were in the gate and the elders said that we are witnesses, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, Ruth, be like Rachel and Leah. And basically they say that may your house be blessed as Jacob with his two wives when they had 12 sons. So Boaz as we read through scripture, took Ruth and they become his wife and they get married and all of a sudden they miraculously have a son. And we go back to the original text that I read. And it says, Then the woman, then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be unto you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, get this, the script, their people are talking to Naomi here, not to Ruth. It says, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in all of Israel. For he shall be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And this is here where we see that the story shifts and is no longer about Ruth, but says that the women said to Naomi, the grandmother of the child, that Ruth was not mentioned again the rest of the book by name because the focus turned back to a woman who had faced hardship. It was not about Ruth anymore, but now it was about Naomi. But why all the focus on Naomi? You could have said that all of 
You could have said all that by simply calling attention to the child and saying that he was the redeemer and doing it all for Ruth. But yet we hear something at the end of chapter 4 of Ruth. At the end we hear a bridge that is forged back to chapter 1. Chapter 1 spoke of how Naomi had seemingly lost everything. It was Naomi, she said, that I went full and I came back empty and God has dealt bitterly with me. Naomi left her land blessed and lost everything that she thought defined her and said that God has dealt bitterly with her. But little did she know that all Along the way that God was preparing her and preparing her future family for something that was unprecedented. For something that nothing, for something that would never happen again. For something that was totally out of the ordinary. It turns in the book of in the book of Ruth of chapter 4 back to Naomi because God was making her tragedy turn into a trajectory to the future salvation of everyone on this earth. God was turning her tragedy into this trajectory so that she could be the grandmother of a person named Obed who would be the great grandmother of a person named David who then would be the 13th grandmother of a man named Jesus. And you see, God is doing more than you'll ever know for your future even in the midst of your trial. Even in the midst of your struggle. Even in the midst of your darkest hour. You may not see God right now working. But let me tell you, His hand is in the middle of your life. And saying that if you'll just follow me. If you'll follow me like Naomi followed me. If you'll follow me like Ruth followed me. Then I promise you at the end of your story. You'll have something that will bless my name. You'll have something that will bring glory to my name. What you don't realize. What we don't realize. Is that chapter 4 ends with Naomi. It ends with her because there was an unseen renowned redeemer that was prophesied that was going to come and be the restorer of life and be the restorer of her old age and be the restorer of everything that was taken from her everything that the enemy tried to take out everything that life tried to turn around That's why in chapter 4 it ends with Naomi and it ends with Naomi because there's an unseen renowned redeemer that was going to be birthed out of her Gentile Moabite forbidden daughter who is to set up her family lineage to be part of a holy thread to Jesus Christ our redeemer. 
It underlines the fact that the woman who seemed to lose everything in chapter 1, feeling so depressed that she couldn't see anything hopeful in the future, is now drawn as the one who's the most blessed in the last chapter of Ruth. So I will say it again, that the book of Ruth in the Bible is meant for us to learn how God is at work in our darkest hour. That God is moving and breathing and orchestrating something in your life God is moving even when you don't see him moving God is operating even when you don't feel him the story of Ruth shows how even when you don't see God he is working even when you don't feel God he is still working. God has not forgotten about anyone in this place. He knows exactly where you are and the path that you're on. God is willing and able to work out any situation if if it involves sin. God is willing and able to work out any situation even if it involves sin God is willing to work with the sin and turn it into a setup for the future listen this is a recurring theme with God and I'm going to come to a close in just a minute this is a recurring theme with God throughout scripture of an unseen redeemer working things out for the good through all sinful situations when all of hell is breaking loose in people's life. Let me give you an illustration as we come to a close with this. That in the story of Joseph, his brothers sell him into slavery. First they throw him into a pit, lie to his father about what happened to him, and then sell him into slavery. That's sin, is it not? They lie. They almost murder. They kidnap him. They sell him. Then he gets taken into the house of Potiphar where Potiphar's wife lies about him. That's sin, isn't it? And so he goes to prison. An innocent man. That's sin as well because he is an innocent man. They send an innocent man to prison. He then tells dreams of the butler and the baker in prison. And the baker gets killed while the butler goes back and forgets him for two more years when the butler has said that I will remember you. Once again, this man lied and it's sin. It's a sin to treat a man so ugly. It's a sin to treat such a person with so low of dignity. Sin, 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 sin. All the way back to the bottom of the dungeon in Egypt. All the way back. This man named Joseph was was everything but dead. He was in the bottom of the dungeon. But let me read the two verses that give you God's perspective on those sins. The first is Psalms 105 verses 16 and 17. It says that when he summons a famine on the land and broke all the supply of the bread, he has sent a man ahead of it. 
that even in the midst of all the struggle that Joseph was going through, he had sent him in the middle and before it. So what was happening in the sinning of his brothers, in the sinning of the Potiphar's wife, in the sinning of the butler who has left him there, what was happening in this horrible, sinful process by which this godly man Joseph was being abused all the way down to the prison in Egypt. What I tell you was happening, salvation was happening for Israel. Salvation, your salvation, my salvation, the glory of Jesus Christ, born of an heir to his family. The reason why, because if Joseph would not had to go through all the struggles, like Naomi did, if, if Joseph had not had to go through all the trials, and he had not been sent before the famine, then there would not have been a people of Israel that would have made it. God sent Joseph ahead of them by almost means of sin. And that is where we see a redeemer who was at work and his name was going to get the glory out of every evil that was performed on his children. Though Joseph's circumstances was dark and often felt grim, God was on the other side working it out for his favor. Come on. Joseph's own interpretation of the thing when he said to his brother, he said, you meant it for evil, but what God meant it for good. That's the one thing that you can remember today. That when the devil tries to come against you and try to kill you, all you've got to turn to him and say, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. I may not see God in the midst of it right now, but let me tell you, God is too good to give up on me. Come on, somebody, you need to say to Satan, every time he beats you up and brings some disease in your life and clobbers you to the ground, Satan, you meant it for evil. You might be trying to eat my faith alive, but devil, have learned something, and that something is this, that God works all things out. God works all things out for good. Be gone, Satan. You have no right to my faith. You don't have my family. You can't have my promise. You're not getting my marriage. You're not getting my joy. Come on, can somebody declare that today? I may not see it right now, but God is working it out. There's been some times in my life that I had to tell the devil that you might eat my body, but you will not have my faith. I refuse to give up. I refuse to give up. Some of you need to remind Satan, Isaiah 54 and 17, where it says that no weapon formed against you will prosper. That every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That every tongue in judgment that rises against you that I will condemn. Some of you need to remind yourself what Deuteronomy chapter 28 says. That the Lord has made me the head and not the tail. That I am above and not beneath. 
Some of you have been going through some struggles like Naomi. Some of you have been going through some struggles and you've been losing things left and right. But what God is saying that at the end of this story, at the end of all of this, I am making you the head. I am making you something that you never thought you could be. I'm above my sin and not beneath my shame. I'm above the ground and not under it. And as long as I am above ground, I still got faith in my body. I still got power in my spirit. I'm above the pain. I'm above the hurt. I'm above the shame. And the death has not put me under yet. Death has not put me under yet. I wish somebody in this place would recognize that you have an unseen but very well-known Redeemer named Jesus that is fighting for you and is the captain of the ship and you aren't going down anytime soon. That you can react like Naomi today and say that I trust God but I know that God's trying to kill me and trying to bring calamity on me. Or you can say that though you slay me, yet I will trust in you though you slay me yet I will trust in you I don't understand what's going on right now but let me tell you the God that I serve is too good to give up on me it's too good to give up on me too good to give up on me Let me tell you about what God can do and turn a bad situation into good. Let me tell you about a God who can take a boy with self-worth issues and depression and anxiety and addiction and give him a place to preach his goodness and allow him to bask in his presence. Let me tell you about a boy who thought everything was against him and all the world was against him. That's me. God brought me out. God delivered me through. And he's not done yet. God's brought me out of a divorced family and got me married to a beautiful wife. He steered me away from suicide, delivered me from years of addiction to pornography, restored my mind, and healed my depression. And you, if you think that's all, you don't know the whole story. Because the God I serve, Brother Kurt, is the Redeemer of my soul. The God I serve is in the redemption business the God I serve is still redeeming me every single day let's all stand to our feet right now lift your hands right now I believe that there's an unction of the Holy Ghost that's taking place in this house the Redeemer is in the room and all you've got to do is say Lord redeem me God I accept that though my life seems bleak at times though my trial seems hard though my life seems like I'm going to die I know that you're working it out I know that you're working it out I know that you're working it out. I know that you're working it out. Today your Redeemer is here and He's ready to restore what you thought was desolate. What you thought was impossible. What you conceived in your mind and your life 
to be unredeemable. I stand here under the unction of the Holy Ghost to remind someone in this place that if God could take a widowed woman who had nothing but an unfulfilled lineage and a daughter-in-law and restore her heritage, then He can do it for you. I know that He can restore your family. Come on, let me minister for a second. I know that He can restore your mind. I know that He can redeem your past. There's nothing too hard for God. There's nothing too hard for God.